Welcome to the Drift Zone and happy Fair Day 2021. The Drift Zone at Fair Day 2021 is a series of podcasts for us all to learn about the fantastic and inspirational LGBTIQA plus and aligned organizations, sporting groups, faith groups, businesses, artists, and total dead set legends that share the love at Fair Day each year. You'll be able to listen to a heap of podcasts we've got coming your way. Through the podcast, you'll also be able to follow their links to learn more about the amazing work that they do and how you can become involved with them. In this episode of the Drift Zone at Fair Day 2021, we catch up with the inspirational Dr. Gary Morrison speaking on behalf of the Shiner Light Support Group and the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia. As you're listening to this episode, you can also go to www.prostate.org.au and find out more about the Shiner Light Support Group. Thanks for jumping into the Drift Zone. Welcome to the Drift Zone. Uh, Today we've got Dr. Gary Morrison, and he's speaking on behalf of the Shiner Light Support Group. Welcome to the Drift Zone. Gary, would you let us know a little bit about yourself? I um, work as a political advisor, and I also have my own recruitment business in the healthcare space. I've been um, a proud out and gay man for most of my life. Recently, um, I have been affected by cancer and uh, that's what's really brought me to the Shine Light group and uh, my involvement with it. I find it inspiring to speak to people that are connected to organisations that actually have life experience with their organisation in terms of what the organisation is about. With the yeah. Shine Light support group, could you shine a little bit of light on the workings of Shine Light? Sure. Well, I, um, in actual fact, was diagnosed with prostate cancer uh, going back around about 10 years ago. And when I was diagnosed, I, like many people, went straight to Dr Google to try and uh, find out information about the type of cancer I had, but also any sort of support groups uh, around that might be able to really give me a bit of, uh, a bit of comfort uh, as to what my journey was going to be about. It was around that time that the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia, who are really the auspice body for Shine the Light, they had just embarked upon developing a support group network right around Australia, not only for straight men, but also for gay and bisexual men. And I happened to hit on that right at the beginning, which was fantastic. They empowered uh, a consultancy uh, to go around Australia and develop the support group network for gay and bisexual men for prostate cancer. And the Shine Light group, which is the New South Wales-based group, commenced 10 years ago and we meet every month at ACON in Elizabeth Street and Surrey Hills. During these COVID times, we've now turned digital. So our meetings are not only face-to-face when we can have them based on COVID, but also through Zoom. It takes a fair amount of time and a dedicated group of people to be able to keep these kind of support groups going. And we've been very fortunate here 
in New South Wales with Shine a Light that we've got um, a core group of around about 10 individuals that work diligently um, in being able to have the regular meetings and also meet with chaps either via Zoom or face-to-face uh, in between meetings that may have been affected by not only prostate cancer because in the last two years we've expanded the group's reach uh, and decided to make it a cancer support group. So the group now encompasses uh, all forms of cancer that may affect gay and bisexual men and, uh, and we're there to support them. Yeah, it's, it's great to hear that there's a really strong support group. In terms of COVID as well and the number of members, I guess, in New South Wales that meet up at ACON, what's the general, I guess, numbers that do meet up and has COVID, uh, I guess, encouraged more in terms of people jumping onto technology to um, attend support groups? I suppose over that 10-year uh, period, we've probably had close to 200-odd men, gay men, that have uh, been affected by prostate cancer predominantly, but also those that have had testicular cancer or brain cancer as well. And on average, we have probably around 15 to 20 people per month in a face-to-face environment. When COVID hit, uh, it was quite interesting because that expanded um, and we ended up having gay men from uh, New Zealand, Thailand, Singapore, Uh, that had heard about our group and joined us in our Zoom meetings. I mean, face-to-face meetings are always a preference, but Zoom is just as good for those that are in either a rural, remote or overseas sort of situation. And we're branching out and uh, trying to have a greater reach because we know that many of our rural cousins are left high and dry and don't have access to any support mechanisms. And... I know, having been through it, that being able to ask the questions you want to ask and that you sometimes forget to ask with a doctor or are afraid to ask, you can do so in a support group environment and it works absolutely brilliantly. Yep. You're reading my mind as well because I thought, hey, Gavin, hold on a minute. Let's go back to the beginning. For everyone and myself, could you give us a little more understanding? What is prostate cancer? Well, when I give a talk, whether it be to um, straight groups or whether it be to other gay groups, I always start by saying prostate cancer is to men what breast cancer is to women. Prostate cancer is one of the highest, if not the highest, form of cancer that affects men. Usually men above 50 years of age, but in my case, mine was earlier, uh, it was around 45 and, uh, and it can sometimes even be earlier than that. The interesting thing is, is that um, when you talk to men about their prostate, many don't know what it is or what it looks like or whatever. And the prostate is a small walnut-sized gland that's uh, uh, down in your nether regions. And it essentially, I suppose, if you look at it in terms of sexual practice, it's, it's, it's the G-spot really for any gay man. So the effects of having prostate cancer usually can show either by having a PSA test, if you've got a history of cancer in your family, I always say go and get tested for prostate cancer when you get to around 30, 35, especially if you've got cancer right through. And in my case, I had cancer on both sides of my family. I had it on my father's side and on my mother's side. And so I knew the gene was sitting there. So in my six monthly checkups with my GP, I've always 
had my PSA monitored. And a PSA is a test, it's just a blood test, which will come back and if you've got a high reading, it's an indicator that there might be some activity down there and that you should get checked. Now, those checks can then extend through to not only, obviously, the old finger up the bum type situation, or what they've moved to now is having CAT scans and uh, PET scans in which you're injected with a specific antigen dye and they can actually see it light up from those kind of scans. So it's much more accurate and it's much better. But my word of advice to people is, is that if you're having trouble passing urine, if you've got any pain down there, obviously get it checked out because if it's not prostate cancer, it could be something to do with your testicular region. It could be anything. Yeah, and I guess the sooner the better to, if you are feeling uncomfortable or you have concerns, is to go to your GP and to go and get adult health checks and ask for all the required tests. With you and your journey with prostate cancer as well, what was, I guess, a major takeaway for you and in terms of lifestyle I guess, perspective, lifestyle change, reinvention? Like all people, when you're told that you've got cancer, um, it's the big word. My initial thoughts were to try and internalise it, find out as much information as I can, because if you're diagnosed with prostate cancer, it's not it's not like having appendix. If you have appendicitis, well, you can get, get your appendix out and it's solved. With prostate cancer, once they've diagnosed it, you have options because the effect on your life will be that if you have surgery, depending on how fast spread the cancer may be and how radical the surgery needs to be in order to get it and remove the prostate and any spread, if it has uh, happened, can affect uh, rectal function. And also one of the other downsides is, is that once you've had your prostate removed, they do take the sperm glands as well. So whilst you will have orgasm, you won't have any ejaculate. So for some men, not all men, that the thought of that happening to them is something that they can't comprehend and are very concerned about. And especially too, I suppose, obviously with straight men, it's obviously about having a family. For gay men, um, that whole process of ejaculate and coming is um, for many men, uh, the indicator of whether sex has been good or bad. And the irony is that's not what sex is. To me, it's the happy ending. And sex is about all the foreplay, all the love, all the, everything else that's gone into the journey. And the happy ending is the climax of that. But for some gay men, and I've certainly met many, they feel a huge sense of loss in losing that ability to ejaculate. They also, um, and it takes roughly about 12 months after you've had your prostate removed, and it's done by robotic surgery predominantly these days, but there is still open surgery. But I think for the majority of men, it's important that they do find a way of being able to re-engage with their partner also having sex again. And it is about reinvention. And that's the way I phrase it, uh, because in my journey, I certainly had to look at what my sexual encounters were about and really find a new way to enjoy it. Definitely. Reinvention is true and also communication. It's really interesting to hear, I guess, reinvention of a person's view on sex itself. And it's inspiring also because I know within different communities, sex and people's perception of sex 
it is different and it's a lot of it is wham bam thank you man but it'd be interesting to like people that haven't been affected by prostate cancer to communicate and have discussions and learn from men that have come out the other end of operations from prostate cancer and having that conversation on sex it's interesting yeah i think i mean it's true and i think in one of our earlier conversations i mentioned that i mean when we're when we're taught about sex we're taught about sex we're not taught about love and so sex becomes um an action and something that you do when you have a driving urge to do it the interesting thing is is that sexuality in many cases defines people people can be defined by their sexuality or in my case for example it's just part of who i am so it it doesn't necessarily define who i am is the way i like to look at it but i think that for many men and especially straight men and gay men included i suppose the best example i can give is when i give give a talk one of the first questions i'll ask the audience is can i have a show of hands of those in the room in their last sexual encounter that it lasted longer than 15 minutes and you'd be absolutely astounded to see that probably 70 to 75% of the audience would put their hand up now that i find absolutely fascinating because sure you can have a quick session but the majority of my sexual encounters will be a long session of getting to know the person and love making whatever and sex then is the climax of all of that so it's a, it's the journey i suppose that you if you want to give it a name i love that i love it i prefer the scenic route myself rather than the yeah, hitting yeah. the destination you've made me think and understand my own view on it as well i mean for me having dinner going for a walk hand in hand um foot rubbings or playing some chess and going to bed that's all part of it and the actual act itself is just a small fraction of the relationship and it's really beautiful and inspiring to hear especially i guess for a lot of younger men coming into their own getting to know that sex is more than just an action it's actually well, I put that a way of being yeah i agree i put that back to um what i said earlier we're taught sex we're taught about sex but when it's we're not taught about it in a holistic sort of way which i think is vitally important because many of the uh, the men that uh, come to our group obviously the first thing they want to know once they've been diagnosed with prostate cancer what does this mean about my sex life and, and my sexuality what does this mean to me will i be able to have sex again will i be able to enjoy sex again and the answer is absolutely yes mm. the big thing is as i said if you have your prostate removed what happens is that if there's any spread where the nerves are damaged which can affect you getting an erection there are ways and means that will heal over time depending on how severe um the the spread has been um and how far the surgeon has had to cut to be able to make sure that you don't have any erectile problems now a lot of men do and it takes time but it is also once you've gone through that pathway which usually takes roughly about 6 months to a year to, if you if you're going to get full erectile function back once you've achieved that uh whilst you may not ejaculate you'll have the most intense orgasms that you've ever known so 
the benefit is, and the way I look at it, is it's my contribution to the Greens movement, and mm. that is that I don't wash my sheets as much. There's not as much mess, and um, and yeah, I can raise my hand up and say I save and conserve water. I love uh, it. <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, so it's fascinating to see, and and a lot of guys too say when if you meet somebody and you're having casual encounters, as a lot of gay men do, yeah, I don't necessarily go out there and tell them straight away, and. Yeah, if, when the moment arises and the interesting thing's been I haven't had any negative sort of reactions when I have told someone. There's, it's been more fascination mm. and the fact that, oh, my God, it saves a lot of time of cleaning up. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's interesting. I guess, too, I'm thinking back to the PSA test and sexual partners. Can sexual partners detect prostate cancer in, in a partner? whether it's casual or long-term, and, and what would be a best practice in self-diagnosing? All oh, right. Well, you shouldn't self-diagnose. And when I say that, if you've got any problems in, you know, finding it hard to, to pee or you know, any pain, you go to a GP, you go to your doctor. And I've always said, go and get yourself a good GP because that's what women do. They get a good GP and they visit their GP regularly. But men, for some reason, don't. Men tend to be, and boys tend to be, when I'm sick, I go to the doctor. And, I mean, you don't maintain your car that way and you don't maintain anything that way and you should treat your body exactly the same way, and that is by going having regular checkups. And even if you go to your doctor even just to talk, that's therapy in itself because there might be some things that are abnormal which the doctor in doing a good physical would be able to pick up and you knock it on the head before it even gets any any worse. In my case, because of the cancer in my family, I was having six monthly checkups, PSA checkups, and they noticed that my PSA reading, which is an indicator that there may be some form of cancer in the prostate. Now, by the time you get to about 75, 80, if you, you, you hit that age, most men will have some form of prostate cancer. The issue is, is and, and that's where all the research is going into, is that we don't know whether it's aggressive or it can sit there and be non-aggressive and you won't even know anything about it, mm. right? But if it's aggressive, that's when it will affect your life and potentially kill you. And the one thing about prostate cancer too is it, it's not a, a cancer that's going to kill you tomorrow. It's one that, you know, takes years and with all the new treatments and everything that are happening now, I mean, men now are getting um, extraordinary um, outcomes as far as uh, lifespan and so forth, even living with it. But, you know, regular checks are obviously smarter than waiting for something to really happen. That's one of my takeaways now is to next time I go to my GP who I've got a really good GP and we have great conversations and a good connection, I'm going to um, ask for a PSA. And I guess for any man listening as well, whether you're gay, bi, whatever, you should go and, um, I guess, grab well, yourself a PSA test, yeah. It should be part of your, of your normal sexual health practice and when you go to your GP, talk about it. I mean, you don't have to have a PSA when you're in your 20s. The time that you need to sort of really start to think about it is when you get into your 30s and if you've had a history of cancer in your family and especially if your father or grandfather has had prostate cancer or passed from it, well, then clearly that's a red flag that you need to be monitoring yourself 
really in your 30s, be talking to your doctor about it. And then they say that by the time you turn 40, have your PSA test. Now, the interesting thing is, is the PSA test is a test which is not an indicator of how aggressive a cancer might be, or even if it's there, but a high PSA reading. And some GPs are actually against the PSA test, but the majority, I would say, are for it. But a PSA test is our only indicator at this stage to be able to give you an idea that you may need to look into this further. You were mentioning men from overseas have started um, reaching out to the Shine a Light support group and the Cancer Council, etc., across the range of services. Are there, I guess, cultural, are there geographical, are there work-related um, factors that can increase the risk of... Um, no, I don't think... I don't think envir- it's very hard to say environmental, but um, I suppose over time when you think about it, probably the way we live and, and with the way man's evolved, that's probably had some impact, obviously, on, on, on our health. We've been very lucky here because the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia developed a set of uh, booklets for any man that develops prostate cancer, but they were the first in the world to actually develop a specific booklet for gay and bisexual men. And that was developed going back around about seven years ago and I was involved in that first edition. It's actually timely having this podcast with you because the new revised edition of the prostate cancer guidelines and also information on prostate cancer and how it affects gay and bisexual men is being launched in and around Mardi Gras 2021. So all of this information that I'm talking about is available through the Prostate Cancer Foundation website and you'll be able to get those new brochures which will either be in a hard copy form or a downloadable form that you can print um, or just have on your device and you'll be able to get good information on just what prostate cancer is about and what you need to look out for and the choices that you'll have. One more question on statistics as well, Gary. Is there a difference in, the, I guess, the ratio of gay to straight men and prostate cancer I don't think there's been specific research on it. As far as gay men to straight men, there's no real evidence to say that more gay men get prostate cancer than straight men. It affects all men. And I give uh, talks to straight groups and it's fascinating. They absolutely relish the thought because they're finally having somebody there that you can talk about and nothing's going to shock me. And I must say that when I was diagnosed with prostate cancer, after going to ground for like a weekend to sort of digest the whole process that I had cancer and what it's going to mean to me and to my lifestyle and so forth, when I went to my specialist, um, I said to him, look, I'm a gay man. I've had worse things happen in my life, I suppose, and I'm going to manage this and I'm going to be able to come out the other end okay. And the interesting thing he said to me was he said, Gary, let me tell you, and I think it's very, very true, this statement, he said, sex is all in the mind. And when you think about it, it is absolutely true. Sex and your ability to enjoy sex is a mind thing. It's not a physical thing per se. And I think if you come at it from that viewpoint, I think you'll have much better mental stability and outcomes in your life uh, because you've got to deal with it. What has been interesting and and what's disappointing this year, because we've been part of Fair Day for, gosh, easily eight years, I suppose, and had always had a stall there. And 
given all the stalls that are there, that everyone's got brochures. So we tried to invigorate our stall by being the first, I'd like to say, of having a drag queen photo booth. And we started that going back about five years ago and now it's become the mainstay of every <laughs> every stall to have a drag queen and the opportunity to have your picture taken with one. But come to our one next year because we were the first. But anyway, when we gave the photos of the drag queen, if it was a young gay guy, we'd always say, do you know where your prostate is? And you would be absolutely astounded at the number of guys who, A, don't know where their prostate is and don't know what it does and... Yeah, it's an education thing. So it's, it's all down to knowing yourself and managing your health. That's another thing I was going to say. A call to action for all men listening is find your G-spot. Absolutely. It's just astounding that uh, a lot of men don't know about it. And as I said, all men generally, not just gay men, are very, very poor at managing their health. And whereas uh, conversely females, because they are tended to be encouraged to go and see a doctor regularly early in an early age, tend to manage their health better and have better health outcomes. Mm. And that's a really important point as well. It's starting that communication or starting that conversation with our friends, with our family, with our lovers about general health and health checks and start that conversation early with our nephews, even, I mean, across the board with our nieces, with neighbours, because it's just a normal conversation. It's like breathing. I love your opening up into Fair Day as well, and that you guys were the first to have um, drag queens with photo booths. What's some of your memorable moments of the Shine a Light Foundation and the Prostate Cancer Foundation? Um, at oh, Fair, look, Day? Fair Day is our main presentation of Shine a Light to the community because it has over 100 odd thousand, 120, 130,000 people come through. It's the community here in Sydney and New South Wales really showing themselves, I think, in the best light possible. And it attracts not just gay people, but also many families. I stand every year, we probably get roughly about five to six new members for our group each year. But the number of people, be it young girls, come up and say, listen, my dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer and I don't even know what it's about and, um, you know, have you got any information? And even straight men coming up and saying, I've never had a check for it, I don't know what it is. So it's that mystery thing. So for us, Fair Day is one of the most joyous days because it really gives you enough feedback to be able to say what we're doing as a support group is absolutely meaningful and also we're helping our community in general to know that we're there and now we're there not just for prostate cancer but also for other cancers as well. And this year would have been a big launch of us with crossing the sort of the divide with other cancers that affect men. So, yeah, Fair Day's, Fair Day's the day, you know, and Mardi Gras is the occasion that each year we are able to present ourselves and have our face to the community. Beautiful. Gary, how can people reach out and find out more about the services of... Well, the best way to get in touch with us is through the Prostate Cancer Foundation website, PCFA, and you can just Google PCFA and it'll come up and then you'll be able to find under the support group section, shine a light and contact details. So any man that either has been diagnosed or is going through that journey of having been diagnosed and needs 
just to be able to talk freely with people that have been through the same thing and there's always someone, we buddy people up and we've got professional counsellors involved as well. So everything's confidential. You just give us a call. That's the first thing. Just give us a call. And as I said, whilst we've got a very large number of men that have gone through over the years, it may very well be that you come to the support group A, at the beginning of when you're having been diagnosed and then you're about to go through the journey of surgery or whatever or any form of treatment that you decide because there's a number of pathways that you can decide to take. But uh, the key thing is, is that you only have to come when you need us. That's what a support group's about. It's not like you're joining up to a, a club where you have to attend every month. You use the group as a means of support for your journey. And we have men that have been treated, come out the other end great, but then, you know, six months down the track, they just want to come back to the group again and have a chat about how they're progressing and some of the problems, if they're having any problems, or they just want to give more support to someone else that's about to go through it. It's awesome to know that um, the Shine a Light support group is out there for um, everyone. It's great that this, there's an opportunity like this, having this podcast to be able to get our message out uh, in 2021 to everyone, stay safe, check your health, and um, I look forward to um, seeing everyone face-to-face in 2022. Thank you. That was the inspirational Dr. Gary Morrison speaking on behalf of the Shiner Light Support Group and the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia. For more information on the Shiner Light Support Group, please visit www.prostate.org.au Thanks again for jumping into the Drift Zone and to find out more how you can support the creation of more podcasts go to tunnelroadproductions.com Thank you again. The Drift Zone podcast is honoured to share your stories as Fair Day is not physically happening in 2021. Through this podcast series, our diversity and unity continue to shine through strong. For more information on the Drift Zone of Fair Day 2021 podcast, you can go to www.tunnelroadproductions.com. One love.